Mark 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kenley. That was really nice, a great read. And I'm so thankful to be here. Carol and I are thankful. And um, just to say thank you for now many years of your support for us. Uh, it's been uh, how many years now? Gee, I can't even count. But since 1989, and that's a long time ago. <laughs> Some not born then, but here we are back again. So it's, it's a good pleasure. It's a great pleasure. And um, yeah, of course, uh, missionaries, they like to tell missionary stories. So I want to tell a missionary story to you. And my hope is that you can figure out who I'm talking to. And um, thanks to McKinley's reading, we, we saw the text. Um, we want to have that backdrop, remembering Jesus' command. Um, well, they asked Jesus what was the greatest command, and it was loving God, right? With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's the backdrop as I tell this story. A story, um, it was over 1,600 years ago, uh, a, uh, a lad was captured off the coast of Britain by a band of Irish raiders. You know who this is about? Carried across the rough Irish sea and sold as a slave. He was the son of wealthy, privileged Christian parents. His grandfather had been a priest and his father a Roman magistrate. Born into nobility, his family expected that one day he would receive that blessing, being a magistrate too. And there, along with his parents' uh, goods and their slaves, he was roughly treated by his pirate captors and sold. The lad's new owner, a wealthy pagan lord, sent him off into the hills to shepherd sheep. And for the next six years, he worked the lonely, hard life of a slave, miserable, cold, alone, afraid in the wild. The young man then remembered what he had been taught. Before his abduction, he said, he did not believe in the living God. But now in his misery, he, he, turned, he turned back to God. And as it says in Romans 8.28, God worked all things for good for this young man too, who loved him even in his suffering, and God who started remaking him from the inside out. In his own land, he was dependent on his wealth and his place in society, but now he was a slave in a foreign land. But his heart became captive to the love of Christ, and he turned to God, knowing that God was watching over him and protecting him and teaching him something very important that he didn't have before, humility. 
So he could no longer claim his father's position, it was a good position, but he began to learn his place as a beloved son of his heavenly father. There in the land of his captivity, he began to be filled with the freedom that comes from the love and fear of God. And the lad learned to pray continually, even as he worked on the outside in the mountains, rising up early in the icy Irish winter. It wasn't a burden to him. There was a fire on the inside that burned bright. And God became his delight. While all around him, the Irish people were pagans, following their ancient Druid practices. But after six years as a prisoner and a time of seeking God through prayer and fasting, God spoke to him, spoke to him in a dream and said, you do well to fast, soon you'll depart from your home country. And in a short time, another voice in a dream spoke saying, your ship is ready. So the young man ran away from his captives, captors and walked some 200 miles from where he lived on the western coast all the way across to the eastern side and where he had never been before. And there, on that same day that he arrived, he found a ship waiting for him. So he asked the men, could he sail with them? But they angrily refused. I bet he had no money. So he left them and he went nearby to a hut where he stayed. And as he was gone, he prayed. And before he finished his prayer, the men came shouting after him saying, come, the men are calling for you. And surprisingly, he was admitted on the boat and they put out the sea right away. Well, I wanna tell you more about the story, but I wanna get into my text too. <laughs> so bear with me, I'll tell you more. Um, but just think about this. Uh, we're gonna remember another young man 30-some, who, who also um, was preparing during this time that we remember as Lent to, um, to travel to Jerusalem, right? In Lent, we remember Jesus, his travel to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, and he's remembering, remembering the love of God, remembering why he's doing what he's doing. And in Lent, we remember this, so our own love would burn brightly too. For centuries, Christian people remembered Lent by prayer and fasting. Was Jesus fasting too as he walked to Jerusalem? And we do it so that we would um, sharpen our focus so that we could turn and love God back again. And sometimes, like that young man who walked in Ireland, uh, we can lose our way. But as we, as we turn in love, as we remember what God has done for us, this becomes a compass for us, and we reorient ourselves. We find the one who is our way. So that text that, that was read, Mark 12, 28, it's, it takes place in the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. It's right after the triumphal entry, which we celebrate soon with Palm Sunday. Um, the leaders, they attempted to put Jesus on the spot. It's under great pressure that they ask him, it says, Mark 12, 28, uh, one scribe came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered well, asked him, which commandment was greater than, was, is the most important of all? So the focus of this leader was the word commandment. You know, it's, it's, about, um, it's about commandments for him. And I can imagine that we could be put off by 
the word commandment, it sounds like an obligation. And does anybody need more obligations around here? <laughs> um, we got to own our own cultural take. It, we're kind of people who don't like things put on us, you know? But I want, I want us to take a moment and uh, get at the heart of what we're commanded to do. And to do that, I'd like to look at um, just the Jewishness of Jesus' time and what, what this was about. So, so Jesus responds to the teacher of the law with what every Jew would say during his time. You know, the Jews repeated these words twice a day. Did Jesus speak them too? I would imagine so. He says, um, he, Jesus answers, that, that answers them, Shema, Shema Yisrael Adonai, Adonai Echad. That's what he says. Provo- uh, excuse my Hebrew, it's probably pretty bad. But, but it's, what's most important here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then Jesus goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So I wonder, when Jesus was answering that, uh, did he have to think about it? Did he scratch his head and wonder? It just seems like it just came right out of him, right in the moment. He answers this question from what the Jews confessed every day. Shema or hear, listen, Israel. And as I thought about that word listen and and the word shema in in Hebrew, I think about um, in the Bible, Hannah, who calls her son, what's what's she call her son? Samuel. Well, the fact is I have a, a friend who named his son, Shmuel. That's the real Hebrew word for Samuel, Shmuel. Can you imagine that? Me and his son, Shmuel. Shmuel, right? Shmuel, the God who hears. Hannah named her son the God who hears because God heard her prayer. Because we remember, it says, listen, Israel. But we're talking about the God who listens. The God who listens to God's people. The God who listens to us when we're down and when we cry out. The God who listens. It's a two-way relationship, this covenant thing. God calls us to listen because God listens. God listens first to us. And then the rest of the saying is, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Kad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. If there's one God who's above all and who is good, and who is known by faithful love, because that's how God was known in the Bible, and is still known, the God of faithful love, would it be a surprise that God requires us to have faithful love in in response? So that's why the Israelites are commanded to love God, the one God, with everything. A oneness of all our mind, all our inner self, all of our strength, which conclude all of our resources. And that's, honestly, that's no small ask. But then this is coming from a God who gives his all. Jesus who gave his all. The God who so loved the world that he gave his son. But in our time, this is a hard, hard line. It's a hard word, this loving God with our all. There are so many increasing 
competing loyalties that pull at us now, right? Um, it's a mark of our postmodern time, an endless fracturing of our world, pulling our allegiance here and there, a myriad of directions. And the, although the possibilities are endless, so are our wants and needs, everything claiming a piece of our love. And in the midst of that, it's God who's asking us, commanding us to love. For everything gets brought back together under, under God if we love God first and most. So I believe that God puts his finger on us to heal us, not to hurt us, from our frantic scatteredness when everything's pulling on us. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You know, it's so far beyond us. <laughs> we always fail at this. It's like a crazy thing to be asking this, you know. We mess up. That's why we confessed it today. We fail miserably, and it's something that no one measures up to. So what do we do? We turn again. We turn our affections, our focus, to love God again. And that's what this Lent season is about. And in this beautiful calling back to love, there's healing for us, healing for us to be an alternative people, a different people. Well, I better get back to our story about the young man before you forget what happened to him on that, on that boat. And he, he, um, he left his place as a slave in Ireland. He's traveling back by ship to his homeland, but it takes three days um, at sea before they come to land, right? But it wasn't where they expected to go. He ends up in the, in the southern part of France in an uninhabited area. And nobody's there. And it takes the, a month of traveling with his ship's company, and they almost starve to death. Um, There's so many other adventures. And then it takes him two more years to get back to where he came from in Britain. Imagine that. This is a long journey. But as soon as he comes back, he's welcomed royally by his, his family, with a long-lost son. They ask him to promise, after all your trouble and travel, don't ever leave us again. And then he remembered all the things that he ever, ever had. They're all there for him. Indeed, his parents had everything that money could buy. And we might think that could be the end of the story, that he lived there happily ever after. But that wasn't the end of the story. He says, he writes, that there, in the vision of night, I saw a man whose name was Victoricus coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters. And he gave me one of them and read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish. And as I was reading, it seemed at that moment to hear that I heard the voice of all those who were beside the forest, which is near the Western Sea. And they were crying us with one voice, we beg you, holy youth, you shall come and you shall walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart so that I could read no more and then I awoke. And then another night, he writes, God knows I don't, whether it was within me or beside me, most words which, which I heard I could not understand except the end of the speech. And I heard thus, he who gave his life for you, it's he who speaks for you. And so with joy, I woke up. So what came to him in a night vision was God's call through the cry of the Irish people 
that he should go and bring the good, good news of God's love to them. But how could he return to the very people who enslaved him? How could he go back? And we don't really know the inner struggle that he went through or how he suffered, but we do know that he began to prepare himself right away by becoming a priest, which was the way he knew from his church. And then one would think that because he had given himself to love God and love people, that everything was easy after that. Is that the way it is when we love God and love people? Everything becomes easy. No, it wasn't the case. It, he says, he writes, and then I was attacked by a goodly number of my elders who brought up my sins against my arduous episcopate. That day in particular, I was mightily upset and might have fallen here and forever, but the Lord generously spared me a convert and an alien for his namesake, and he came powerfully to my assistance that in the state of being trampled down, I pray that it shall not be held against them as a sin, that I fell into disgrace and scandal. In his work to become a priest, people spoke against him. It was so hard. But he does become a priest. And that's the way it is with love, eh? Have you noticed? It's hard for us. It's hard. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for our, our man in the story. And it's not easy for us to love God and our neighbor. There seems to be resistance in us and there's even resistance in others if we love them. Uh, um, you know, we know that, that God is the one who gave his all to us. And so to love God, to love Adonai is the line in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, with all his heart, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and our strength. That's what, that's what our Lord was about. And that's who we're following. So that's why Jesus and the Jews confess that saying every day. Loving God and loving, loving God in particular, they say, every day. But Jesus gives us a two-for-one answer, a double love command, right? He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's just not about loving God, but loving your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And we might feel like, oh, that's enough obligation to love God. Now we're going to love our neighbor too, <laughs> No way we can do that. Yeah, this is, a, this is, is this making sure that we're beholden, that we're obligated to Christian religion? Is that what this is about? You know, I, I think, I think uh, it's more dynamic than that. I think not. I think that, knowing myself, that I can be blind to spiritual realities, that I can think I got it, but I might not be seeing the whole thing. I can tell you one thing, that I noticed that when I'm all caught up in myself, I'm quite unable to love others. Have you ever experienced that? I can get so caught up. I can be wrapped up in my own wounds, my old trauma. I can be to the place where I can't listen to anybody. I can't love. This is the state that I get myself in. It's kind of hard for me. This is what Jesus is saying to us, right? But in, in Matthew's gospel, that same commandment is said like this. The second commandment is like the first, or it follows after the first. And my experience is, is that when I do turn and love God the best, I can love others better. Have you ever experienced that? When I love God best, I can love God better. It's a strange thing. When we put God first, loving God, and not just loving what God does to, for us, right? 
but our loves get reordered, and we find that we can love others better. Yeah? We can love our neighbor, and our closest neighbor is our, often our spouse, right? That's a challenge, right? Loving our closest neighbor. And our parents, well, that can be a challenge too. And our children, and for us, our grandchildren, and our neighbors, and our relatives, and our neighbors around the world. Uh, this has impact on us. If we love God first, the second follows after. We find that it falls in the groove. Does anybody know we're talking that story I'm talking about yet? In Ireland, a few do. I got see two hands. Well, this Thursday it'll be St. Patrick's Day. Mm. Yep. Oh, where are our green? Should I put my green band down on? I better not. I might have used it. Uh, no. <laughs> it's going to be St. Patrick's Day, within which we commemorate St. Patrick's death, right? And some people think it's about green beer. Lift your green beer high. And it's about parades, all right? But I think it was also about the double love command that Patrick owned so powerfully, you know? He loved God with his all, and he loved his neighbor as himself. That's what he was about. That's the real story. Sometimes the real story is wilder than, than leprechauns or Easter bunnies, for that matter. The real story can be harder to believe than Santa Claus. That's the story. 400 years after Christ had commanded disciples to go to all the nations, the gospel had never gone to Ireland. It didn't even go across the borders of the Roman Empire. Christians at that time thought the people beyond their borders beyond salvation, right? Forget them. But God moved on a teenager with an inherited faith and turned him, to a, turned him into an apostle to the Irish people. That's the real story. Shepherd boy slave became a slave of Christ and an apostle to Ireland. And Patrick's troubles, boy, he had some troubles, was what prepared him for his mission. He became, through those troubles, he became devoted to the Lord Jesus and the gospel. And his heart longed to reach those people who were beyond the borders of the Roman civilization. Um, Patrick didn't have much formal training. And because of that, he was able to innovate and do, use effective methods, do things in a totally new, totally new way. So the religious world of the Celts was filled with a myriad of competing gods and goddesses, spirits, uh, spirits of the sky, earth, and water. And the Celts believed in the magical powers of ancestors and divine animals. Total different deal. And so Patrick traveled around through Ireland and even to remote places to preach, to baptize new converts, or ordain clergy for new churches. And while he did, he faced incredible opposition. He had to contend with the magic of the Druids, the priestly caste of the Celtic society. And he faced the violence of local chieftains. They were ready to chop him up. Yet from nobles to slaves, the Irish were ready to hear and obey the gospel. <laughs> Thousands of them responded to Patrick's preaching and turned from their dead ways to serve the living God. So Patrick is the one noted to giving the Irish the gift of non-Roman Christianity. It's changed now, but it was non-Roman Christianity. Since the conversion of Constantine, Christianity was identified with Roman culture and power, but Patrick came liberating Ireland without imperial power. 
He didn't even have a sword. He comes with the gospel. He lived in ways that communicated the gospel in ways that resonated with the Irish people. He, he spoke to them about their hopes. And he told them that they could become followers of Jesus without having to become Romans. And because he did that, the gospel worked through their society, through their tribal society. Patrick used the best of their culture, and he redeemed it to serve the gospel. But things that were against the good news, Patrick fought against. He ended the slave trade, and under the gospel's influence, murder and tribal warfare decreased. In place of a warrior society, Patrick provided a living alternative. He showed the Irish that it was possible to be brave, to expect every day to be murdered, betrayed, enslaved, and yet to be a man of peace. <laughs> With no fear of death because of the promise of Almighty God. Under Patrick's influence, wave after wave of Irish youth flooded into monastic life. Young men who would have given their lives in feuds between clans now gave their lives to plant churches wherever, the king, wherever their king led, King Jesus. So what happened in Ireland was a missionary movement. And for centuries, Ireland became the base from which Christianity spread even to the British Isles, to Northern Europe. Monks would follow the call on pilgrimage for Christ. Wave after wave, wave after wave of people went out all over. And for hundreds of years, missionaries and scholars went out from Ireland, while students from many land came to Ireland to study and become inspired. And these missionary monks became the founders of monasteries throughout Europe. These places of monasteries in Europe, they became great cities. Before that, there were no cities. This happened in the midst of what they call the Dark Ages. So Patrick's achievements were impressive. But this love that burned in him, this love for God and people, started a, started a movement, a missionary movement, that kept on rolling for 400 years. The monasteries of the Celtic missionary movement became the dynamic centers of spiritual devotion, learning, industry, and evangelism in the dark ages, in a chaotic world, in our, like our chaotic world. So Patrick did return to Ireland as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. He went in the power of the Holy Spirit. And although all hell rose up against him, he saw a great movement of Irish turn from captivity, dark captivity, to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he died as a person who fulfilled God's good calling on his life, amazingly fruitful life. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> this is the time of Lent, right? A time of God's grace on us. Some of us need God's grace to be brave, to be a person of peace, huh? to walk in love towards our family and to our neighbors, to love God first. We need God's help. But I want to say, I'm standing here today to say that God helps us when we ask. God's help, God's grace, isn't just grace to go to heaven, friends. It's the power to do what God's asking us to do today, because we need help today. We need grace to do the things that are hard today. That's what grace is all about. And I want to say to you, friends, that God isn't asking us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself first. He calls us to love because he loves us first. So like Patrick, we want to love God in that regard, in that way, loving God first. So my prayer is that God would stir us during this time, this Easter time, stir us personally, stir our family up in love, 
Stir our church here, right? Stir us out of our indifference. Stir us to loving God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourself. Blessings.